conversations with Jesus. Judas. When Mark Andrews was in law school, there was a brief period when he had held three jobs to make ends meet at the same time. One evening, when Mark had a late shift at a steak restaurant where he was working several nights that week, he took the last table that was seated. They stayed way past midnight. Mark was closing down that night, so they had just ate and drank as he finished out his duties. His patience paid off as they left him a rather enormous tip of $100 that night. Now this was over 40 years ago, and those who were around 40 years ago know that $100 was a really, really, really big deal. It went a long way. But when Mark received the ch a check two weeks later from one of the men at the table, he was even more stunned. That gesture of extravagant kindness made sure that his tuition was paid in full for his next semester of law school, and therefore changed his heart forever. A woman was 19 with a newborn starting her first professional job at a university. One of the benefits for working for the university was a free class every semester. However, she was too poor to buy a book for the class. So one of the professors asked what class she was taking, and she had to tell him she wasn't taking any because she couldn't afford the book. He told her to pick a class and he'd buy that book with the only stipulation that if given the chance, she would do the same for someone else. That woman now has two bachelor's degree and a master's degree because of that professor. And that one book. She had the opportunity to buy books of a gal who worked for her, who was going to school like she did. I wanted to do something that was going to stretch my faith, my work ethic, and my everything. It was Jennifer Williams, mother, who got her hooked on books. As a librarian, she read to her three children every day. Not until we went to kindergarten, Williams told a website. Until we went to college. That's a lot of books. That's a lot of reading. When Williams, now 54, became an elementary school teacher and a tutor in Danville, Virginia, she wanted her students to fall in love with reading just as she had. But earlier on, she realized that some kids had limited access to books. It was very obvious to teachers and young children which kids were read to versus which kids were not. She said, it's obvious at the end of the first day of school. To Williams, the solution was simple. Give kids books. And in 2017, as a part of a civic event called Engage Danville, she gave away 900 used children's books over three days. Most people would be satisfied with that. Most. I was like, anybody could do that, she said. I wanted to do something that was going to stretch my faith, my work ethic, and my everything. So she raised the ante considerably by setting a new goal for herself. Give away one million books. It sounds like an unreasonable number, but as Williams posted on Facebook, don't complain to the bleachers if you aren't willing to work out hard in the field. So she got to work, first by roping her friends to donate books or money or to buy books. Before long, as news of Williams' project spread, 
Strangers started leaving bundles of books on her front porch. And as quickly as the books came in, Williams gives them away to local schools free of charge and also supplies books to little free libraries around the city of just 41,000, just over the North Carolina border. She also hosts a book club for inmates at the local jail. In the four years that she's been doing all this, the book club, as Williams has become to be known, has given away more than 78,000 books, only 922,000 more than more to reach her goal, and she's not slowing down. It's too important for kids with few options. Reading can take you anywhere, she told CNN. You can travel in time and space. If you can read, you can learn almost anything. Those were three stories of extravagant kindness, either performed to a person of the story, main person of the story, or the person in the main story performing the history, extravagant kindness. And today, we are going to be reading from a familiar passage and listening in on another conversation with Jesus. From the, first, from the disciples' first meeting with Jesus to their last meeting with Jesus on this earth, then to Nicodemus, then to the woman at the well, our sermon series is taken across the book of John. We learned that last week from Kristen that when God sees us, we are given a chance to be honest with him. And when we are honest with him, he will show himself to us so that we can then share that experience with others. In today's conversation with Jesus, the last one in the series, let us listen in to what one disciple has to say about a particular act of someone towards Jesus. If you want to follow along with me, let's go to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, and I'm using the New Living Translation version. Jesus anointed at Bethany. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived at Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of an expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair, the house was filled with fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume wasn't worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole for himself. Let's pause here and talk about those verses that we just read. We see Jesus here, very near the end of his life on earth, coming into Bethany to begin his final days among us. His disciples and the other Jews were preparing for the Passover. As Bethany was a place designated for the overflow for the city of Jerusalem, Jesus found himself in the home of Lazarus. Jesus, celebrating Passover, was also courageous because the Jewish leaders had made him out as an outlaw for, you know, being himself. 
A meal was prepared in Jesus' honor at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus to celebrate life anew. Martha served, and Mary poured out her love towards Jesus. Mary's love was an extravagant gift, which not only pleased and affected Jesus, but its pleasing aroma filled the entire household. This filling of the house with an act of worship is something many church leaders have taken in, in to believe as the whole church is being filled with Mary's sweet action. Now, who came into this moment of worship and seemingly interrupted it? Judas. His ill-timed complaint and hidden agenda only took people out of that moment. And Jesus had to step in to defend Mary's action. If you're following along, I am in verse 7 now. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Verse 9. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Jesus defended Mary's actions to Judas, and not only to him what she did, and not only told him what she did, but that his question and complaint were technically valid. I want us to know that Jesus hears us when we cry out and complain. He does not turn a deaf ear towards us, but Judas's concern was met with this quote from Deuteronomy 15.11. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I am commanding you to share it freely with the poor and with the other Israelites in need. And back in verse 10, God says to Moses, Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. What was going on outside of this conversation with Jesus and this beautiful act of worship that Mary had performed? Why, it was none other than that ever-growing plot to not only kill Jesus for his words and deeds, but to get rid of the evidence of Jesus ever raising Lazarus from the dead. In order to maintain their place and influence and power over all the people, the Sadducees, which included all of the Jewish leaders, specifically the Sadducees, had decided that it was time to go and get rid of Jesus. Because they wanted to get rid of the evidence of God's resurrecting power and truth here for us on this earth. So, questions in this passage. How expensive was that jar of perfume? Why was it such an extravagant act of worship? Why did Mary do this for Jesus? What was Martha doing? Where was Lazarus? Why was Judas so concerned? And what did Jesus do? Well, that jar of perfume was worth about 300 denarii, 
or a year's wages. So in that time, people got paid by the day. And so every day they would do work and every day they would get paid. They didn't really have salaries, didn't have vacation time, didn't have sick time. But every time they worked, they got paid for the day and they were able to pay for their food and their home and everything. And Mary had somehow saved up enough for a year to buy this expensive bottle of perfume. I really don't know how big it was. My hands are going like this. <laughs> it could have been like this big, it could have been this big. I don't know. I don't know. It was 12 ounces, so it was little. Mary did this as an extravagant act of worship. To celebrate the power of Christ and to bring him glory. She did this because Jesus brought her brother back from literal death to life. Now what was Martha doing? Martha was serving. And if you look in the Gospel of Luke, you'll see the story of her serving and marrying Jesus' feet and her asking Jesus, hello, shouldn't you tell her to help me? Because, like, I'm real busy. And all she's doing is just sitting here, listening to you talk. And of course, Jesus tells her, like, she's doing the Lord's work too. Like, you are serving us, and she is listening and worshiping at my feet. It's okay. You can do that. So Martha was worshiping Jesus too. Just as it was within her cultural boundaries of the time, and according to her personality and her skills. So Martha was being Martha, which is what God asks us to do. He asks us to be ourselves. He doesn't ask us to be somebody else. Now whether you're a Mary or a Martha or somewhere in between or someone else entirely, God asks you to worship him in your own life. Come to that point later. Lazarus was reclining with Jesus. Most likely just happy to be alive and well again. We don't really get too much about Lazarus in this story, but I would imagine that he was just enjoying his life again. Probably wanting to do things that he didn't do before he died and came back. Now Judas was concerned about Mary's act of worship because it says in John's kind of perspective, and as a side note, remember John wrote this much later than the other apostles, and he wrote this later in his life, and he's remembering all these things, so he can tell us it's an insight throughout the scripture, rather than just telling us eyewitness accounts what happened, what happened. He is not a synoptic gospel, like the others. He tells us that Judas was greedy, that he wanted that money for himself, that although he had an aptitude for money, not unlike Matthew, the tax collector, he also had a temptation to take some for himself. And he saw the pouring out of the perfume as a pouring out of literal dollar signs, or in their case, Caesar faces, which he could have just used, because it had only been sold instead. 
I also think Judas might have been envious of Mary's devotion to Jesus. Because as John had stated earlier in Scripture, Satan had already, you know, been tempting Judas and entered into him and asked him to do the horrific thing that he did and betray Jesus. Now what did Jesus do? Jesus commended Mary and chastised Judas for questioning Mary's worship. Now, what can we learn from Martha? What can we learn from Mary? What can we learn from Judas? And what can we learn from Jesus? We can learn from Martha that acts of service and being diligently hospitable are some, are some things that God cares for us to do. So, being one to serve and being hospitable. In fact, there's laws about being hospitable all throughout Scripture. You don't want to be like some of those places in the Bible where they weren't hospitable because God did not like that. So, just remember, if someone comes to your home and is asking for something, don't turn them away. But open up your hearts. Open up your homes. God will take care of them and you. We can learn from Mary in her act of sacrifice and devotion and her understanding of what she was doing for Jesus. She understood what she was doing for Jesus. She understood that she was anointing Jesus. One says his head, the other says his feet. I'm assuming that it was just all. But she used her own hair to wipe his feet. What devotion to get that close to someone's feet. Especially in that time. When they walked around in the desert and the dust and the muck. I don't know if I could do it. Maybe I could. I don't have a hair to wipe someone's feet with. <laughs> Maybe I can do it. Your <laughs> Just get some oils and stuff. But now I'm, I'm not asking anyone to do that. Don't go and ask for someone's shoes and socks to come off so you can anoint their feet with oil. Unless God tells you to. Very sure no one would get it, though. I think they were just thinking of you. But Jesus got it, okay? Jesus got what Mary was doing. And we can learn from Jesus' questioning that it takes more than just our initial observation to understand what God truly sees. See, Judas here thought that a wasting of money was happening and that something else could have been done that was better. Like, we could have helped out so many more people than just Mary worshiping Jesus. Could have been so many more people doing so much more. How many times do we find ourselves in that situation? How many times do we find ourselves looking at what someone else has done and thinking, it could have been more, or it could have been something else entirely different? Who are we to question someone else's worship? 
We can only worship God ourselves. And we can learn from Jesus to appreciate all kinds of acts of worship. And that those in need will always be among us. Also, don't take anything away from other sincere gifts to God. And although we call praying, singing spiritual songs and praises to God, and reading his word acts of worship, many other acts of worship can be done as well. Giving God and others your time, talents, and treasures are acts of worship. Directing our hearts and minds towards God are acts of worship. Some people do that by going outside. Some people do that by taking those five to ten minutes in the shower. Because they're finally alone, and they can finally just melt away and focus on God. Compassionate parenting is an act of worship. Those of you who are parents and grandparents, you understand what it means when you're compassionate towards your children and grandchildren. That's an act of worship. Caring for others is an act of worship, whether it be physical, mental, or emotional. Caring for others is an act of worship. Like the people in the stories, from the beginning of the sermon, spreading kindness is an act of worship. So, paying for someone else's drink at Starbucks, or drinks, or food, or whatever. You never know what people get there. In fact, I was wondering what people were getting yesterday when I was in line for 40 minutes. <laughs> My food had already been paid for. My drinks had already been paid for, but I was wondering, what were people getting? But I was kind and patient, um, and it wasn't that bad. It was, it was fine. But the Starbucks people were thanking me for being patient, and I was like, I mean, you're the one giving me coffee. Listening and obeying to God and his word are acts of worship. Whether something is right or wrong, what we say and what we do on a daily basis are acts of worship. What's right for you and what you do as an act of worship may just be wrong for somebody else. Not wrong in like a bad, bad thing, but wrong is in different and not necessarily a way that they can connect with God. But what we say and what we do are acts of worship. Basically, our whole lives are an act of worship. In all that we do, may our lives worship you. That is my prayer for today. That is the sermon in a sentence. In all that we do, may our lives worship you. It's like, God, what is it that you want from me? And his answer is always, 
wants us. He doesn't want polished you. He doesn't want perfect you. He doesn't want perfect me. He doesn't want me on my best day. He'll take me at my worst. He'll take us at our worst. And take that offering. However small it may be. And he gets glory. Isn't that what we believe? That God deserves the glory. That God came down, formed himself into us, through a woman who was completely not expecting it, to live a life amongst us, and to experience the ebbs and flow of life, to experience the pain, the joy, the temptation, and to overcome it all just to be in a relationship with us. Just so that we have something to worship. Someone to worship. Because we were designed to worship. I don't know if you know this, but everyone was designed for worship. Whether they're worshiping God or something else entirely, they were designed to worship. In all that we do, may our lives worship you, Lord. Not our spouse, not our kids, not our sports, not our country, not our jobs, not our hobbies but God. And as Christians, we're a light in this world. We're a beacon towards God. And I want us to remember that. In all that we do, may our lives worship. Let's pray. Oh God, we go to you in this morning and this time hungry and thirsty for you. We need you not only in our, this hour of worship, but in the moments as we leave and the lunch and the lunch area where we're going to have food whether it be in a restaurant amongst others or at home amongst family and friends. We need you in our jobs or in our outings. We need you in our conversations. We need you in our minds. For in all that we say and do, we want to worship. We want to give you the honor, we want to give you the glory, because you have given us the blessing of this life and the blessing of your Son, Jesus Christ. Fill us up, Lord. Change our hearts. Change our lives. So that others may see and be pointed to you and to you alone. Your name.
night Jesus rose from the dead, he showed up in a locked room where his disciples were hiding. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he said, As the Father sent me, I am sending you. So, here's an echo. Receive his Spirit. And as he sent his first disciples, he's sending us. Go. You are sent. Mm 